The Book of Ruth. Many non-believers read Ruth as a romantic novel. But Ruth is really a historical book. Benjamin Franklin, when he was ambassador to France, he had to encounter skepticism and uh, really non-believers there in France. And he sought for a way to minister to them the truth of God's word. And so unbeknownst to them, he read the book of Ruth anonymously to them. He finished the book of Ruth, and they give him a standing ovation, the little group he was speaking to him. And they began to say, this is the greatest love story we have ever heard. And they said, Benjamin, you should publish this story. And he said, gentlemen... I have just read you the book of Ruth from the Old Testament of the Bible. But the book of Ruth, we don't really know the author of the book of Ruth. We think it's possibly Samuel the prophet. But it was written in the time frame of the judges of Israel. And at this time, apostasy is rampant throughout Israel because everyone was doing right in their own eyes. That's sort of a culture expose of the world today, particularly, I think, here in America, where we have modern philosophers who who want to dictate to us that there are no absolutes. And when there are no absolutes, everybody's free to do right in their own eyes. But in the midst of our moral decay, we see God demonstrating his redemptive work of love as kinsman redeemer in the book of Ruth. The work of love by Boaz, a type of Christ, to Naomi and Ruth is is just a beautiful story. The book of the roof, it is a light of hope shining into anyone's heart that is maybe discouraged. You ever been discouraged? And Ruth will turn out to be King David's great-grandmother. Several weeks back, Mike gave us uh, an overview of the four chapters of Ruth. So we're going to jump into them, as he said I would, a little more in detail, and we will get into the first chapter of Ruth. So let's begin Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Imelech. And the name of his wife was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephratites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab 
and remained there. Then Amalek, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpha, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died, so the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Verse 1 there gives us uh, the details of our story, the setting of our story. A famine has come upon Judah, and in particular, it has hit the Bethlehem area. Emelech, Naomi, Malon, Chilion, they pack up and they move to Moab. Moab was on the eastern side of the Dead Sea. They have left Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. So they leave the house of bread because there's a famine. And names in the Old Testament in particular uh, had a lot of significance to uh, the person. And many times there would be circumstances that would surround a child and they would name that child according to the circumstance. Jacob, for instance. Jacob means heel catcher. Jacob came out of the womb clutching the heel of his twin brother Esau, thus his name. Imelech means my God is king. Naomi means pleasantness. Melon, sickly or perhaps premature. And Chilion means pining or perhaps he was just a sad baby. The two sons of Naomi, they both die before having children. Imelech, Naomi's husband, has also died. And now Naomi only has two daughter-in-laws, and they're both Moabites, Ophrah and Ruth. And here is Naomi in a foreign land, two childless daughters-in-law, and this is a recipe for poverty. The ugly twist of fate comes upon Naomi shortly after arriving there in Moab. So let's read Naomi's reaction to all these things that have happened, and that's in verses 6 through 14. Then she, Naomi, arose with her daughter-in-laws that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Yes. Speaking of Judah and so forth. Therefore she went out from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went out on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? 
Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they are grown? Would you restrain yourself from having a husband? No, my daughters, for it grieves me that they have uh, that very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices, wept again, and Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi has received the news. The Lord has broken the famine in Judah, Bethlehem in particular, the town she was from. And once again, Bethlehem is the house of bread. Naomi is going back to her hometown, but she's going back minus a husband and her sons. Famine had forced Imelech, Naomi's husband, to move his family to Moab, and now death to, to uh, Imelech and her sons caused Naomi to return home to Bethlehem. And there's a sorrowful separation now that goes on between Naomi and her daughter Orpha. Naomi, Ortha, and Ruth, they're all weeping. And Naomi blames God in verse 13. The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Orpha takes the advice of Naomi and she returns to her family. But Ruth clung to Naomi. Now note carefully Naomi's assessment of Orpha and Ruth's decision to follow Naomi. <clears throat> that comes in verses 15 through 17. And she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you from me. <clears throat> Naomi's advice has been, Ruth, return to your family for I am an old woman and I have nothing to offer you. Go to your family like your sister-in-law Orpha did. For Orpha, probably a good woman. She's a Moabite, but she has took the path of ease. Going back to family and going back to her gods. Gods with a little g meaning they are false gods. They're not the living God. And you can see that in Scripture. When gods are mentioned with a little g, it's not the real living God. However, Oprah's decision to go back to her false god, compare that to Ruth's decision to follow Naomi. 
And she also will be following the living God. Ruth has come to know Naomi. Naomi is far from being perfect. Uh, She has her flaws. But her flaws are open and bare before them. She doesn't try to hide her feelings. She doesn't try to say things are good when they're not good. Naomi's declaration, the hand of the Lord is against me. And she says that because of the drought that caused them to leave Bethlehem. And now she wants to go back to Bethlehem. We currently are recovering from a drought. Some of you didn't even know we were in a drought. We were in a drought. The entire southeast was in a drought. Remember the fires in Gatlingburg? A result of the drought. There was no moisture up there, and everything caught on fire easily. And most of you know I have a little farm. If you don't know, hang around, and I'll tell you about it. But anyway, I have three small creeks, and I have three ponds, and they were all dry. I have ne- I've lived there 10 years, and I've never seen it so dry as it was a month or so ago. But for two and a half months, I had to water my cows from a well that I have. But the rains have returned, and now life is good, and things are prosperous on the Ponderosa. But many cattlemen, and I have a few cows, many cattlemen had to sell off their herds because they had no feed for their cows, no pasture land, and no water. Their ponds went dry just like mine did. But thank the Lord, I had a well, so I was able to water my cows. But there were no grazing pastures for for a lot of the uh, cattlemen out there, and beef prices plummeted because cattlemen began to sell off their cows for whatever they could get to the market. That selling off of these cows and the lack of the water, the cost of hay doubled in this time frame because hay quits growing when the rains quit. And if you could find hay, you had to pay twice the amount. I had a good hay supply. And I say all that to make this one point. The drought hit the entire area. It went from uh, northern Georgia, southern Tennessee, north Alabama. It was a large area of drought. And it was for everyone. Believers and non-believers suffering the same drought. The drought included many farmers. But Naomi has tragedies strike her And she's personally upset. God is against me. National disasters happen. We have tornadoes in our area. Other areas have hurricanes. And there's earthquakes out west, usually. And all people suffer. But Naomi blames God for her suffering. God, you have singled me out to suffer. 
tragedy strikes all of us. How we handle that tragedy determines our outlook on life. When the Gatlingburg fires hit, I heard person after person interviewed on the news that were grateful that they still were spared, they still have life. Everything they own was burned up, but they still have the hope and they still have life. And it was good to hear their uh, perseverance and, and their wanting to carry on. There was a fire that struck uh, Oakland, California a few years back and it destroyed quite a few homes. And there was one lady that came on the news and she says, I'm tired of hearing it's only possessions. I love my possessions and I don't know how I can go on without them. And I thought, wow, <laughs> that's not such a good attitude. But Naomi has found fault with God. But Ruth has seen she has witnessed something in Naomi, in Naomi's belief system, that attracts her to Naomi and her God. After declaring to Naomi, I am with you until the end, only death can separate us, I propose to you the great loyalty of Ruth to Naomi is based upon this singular truth, Naomi's God. Ruth saw something in Naomi that was real, that was authentic, and she was attracted to it. Ruth, she vowed to Naomi, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge, and your people shall be my people. And then... Here's the clincher. Your God will be my God. Capital G. Ruth has seen the true and living God demonstrated in Naomi. Maybe not perfectly, but she's seen enough truth of the living God that she's willing to follow Naomi. Naomi, in all her negative opinions, Yet she still demonstrated enough of her faith in the living God that Ruth is on board with her. And she's on board with the living God for life. This is a beautiful picture of how God breaks down the race and culture barriers between Jew and the Moabites. Ruth, she's a woman of great devotion and loyalty to Naomi. And it's the results of Ruth taking on the belief system, the true and living God of Naomi, that will cause them to prosper. Let me read the last verses of chapter 1. That's verses 18 through 22. This is Naomi speaking. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her of Ruth. Now the two of them 
went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me, the Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Naomi becomes silent on her trip back to Bethlehem. It's been a long, quiet walk between uh, Moab and Bethlehem. And Naomi is greeted with friends and family there at Bethlehem that are excited to see her. And they greet Naomi happily. And Naomi, but she's still bitter, and she tells everyone, don't call me Naomi, meaning pleasant, but call me Mara, or bitterness. Bitterness is an attitude. I choose to be bitter in the way I handle trials and afflictions that come my way. Troubles and afflictions, they come to the poor, they come to the rich. They come to the smart, and they come to the not-so-smart. They come to those of renown, and they come to those of no reputation. Naomi is caught up in bitterness. She is completely wrong in her assessment of God being against her. God has given Naomi a daughter-in-law in Ruth who is the most precious, devoted daughter possible. The greatest blessing of Naomi's life is Ruth. But Naomi continues, woe is me. And she rants and she raves with it. I went out full. And the Lord brought me back empty. And the Almighty, I like that name for God, by the way. And the Almighty has afflicted me. Naomi is a person who takes great comfort in declaring, even God is against me. Woe is me. You wait for Naomi to say, I think I'll eat worms and die. (laughs) Have you ever known perhaps a friend or a relative who cannot engage in even a simple conversation without complaining? I've known a lot of people that way. It's interesting to hear a group of people uh, start a conversation And oftentimes that conversation will begin with somebody complaining. But Naomi is there. But her words will go on to haunt her. 
the Almighty has afflicted me. Totally untrue. I once counseled a woman who was complaining about her situation in life. She said, I am divorced. I am lonely. I have nothing to live for. And she had two beautiful, healthy children. She was not financially troubled in any way. I suggested that she tell God about her feelings. Tell God you're unhappy. Tell him. Talk to him. You have prayer. And her answer was one that I'll never or won't soon forget anyway. She says, I no longer pray. God, God does not hear my prayers, nor does he answer my prayers. Quite a statement. I carefully pointed out to her as a Christian, God did hear her prayers. And if he heard her prayers, she could rest assured that he answered her prayers. But this was only words to a woman who chose to be bitter. Naomi and this Christian lady that I counsel had this in common. It is God's fault I am in my desperate situation. God's against me. By complaining about God's care and treatment of them, these women are saying, God is not loving, nor is he faithful to me. Naomi, do not call me Naomi or pleasant one, but call me Mara, call me bitterness. This other lady said, God does not hear my prayers or answer my prayers, so I will not pray. They are, whether they realize it or not, committing character assassination against God. Against a loving, good God. And it borders on blasphemy. Because it's not true. Naomi will go on to say in chapter 2, verse 20, Blessed be the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. Now that is a weak repentance, but it is repentance. It is a turning away from the bitterness. And she does turn away from the bitterness when she begins to see the hand of God is for her. God is showing mercy and goodness to Naomi who has falsely accused him of being unloving and cruel. I like that. God is loving and good, even though Naomi is crying out, God is not for me, he's against me. I lost track of the other woman that I counseled, I hope she's rethought her accusation that God does not regard her prayers. But here's the good news. God was good and faithful to Naomi. And I'm sure God was good and faithful to this woman that I counseled. Even though these women did not deserve God's blessings, he was still more than willing to give them. God had mercy upon these two women. And I appreciate God's goodness to me and my family 
even though I have been guilty of complaining to God about his treatment of me. You ever do that? We do it all the time. Our prayers are for things, for blessings, when God has already blessed us. Our prayers are for things we don't have when we have plenty. However, blessed be the name of our Lord and his goodness to us. Amen. Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, here we are beginning a new year. And we are blessed to know that you go before us. Just as you were going before and preparing the way for Naomi and she couldn't see it, you go to prepare a way for us. And many times we can't see it, Lord. But we thank you for your character of being good and loving, knowing that you're watching out for us, knowing that you are the good shepherd. And so, Lord, we pray for this new year. Give us a glimpse. Just let us see in part how much you love us and care for us. May we see that you go before us preparing a way if we will just seek you. So, Lord, give us that heart. Give us that foresight to be in prayer for your goodness towards us and to give you thanks and have a grateful heart for your many blessings. We're starting a new year, Lord. We just pray that you would continue to go before us, bless us, but let us, your children, see how good you are and give you thanks for your goodness. And may we do this throughout this year, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.